Hi, I'm Micah Woods, Chief Scientist at the Asian Turfgrass Center, and this is the ATC Double Cut, where I take another look at a topic that I've discussed on the ATC website, on the blog. And I've got a good one today. This one is about something that is really surprising, and it's about potassium, and specifically about potassium in sand root zones. Now, you might be aware that grass uses a lot of potassium. Grass uses potassium in amounts that are second only to nitrogen. So after nitrogen, the element that's used in the next greatest quantities is potassium. So the grass needs relatively quite a bit of potassium and potassium is held on cation exchange sites in the soil and sand root zones are notorious for having low cation exchange capacity. So what we have is sand root zones don't have much sand in them, we think. And so people typically would apply a lot of potassium fertilizer. And so you might expect that turf grass would respond to potassium fertilizer that's applied to it. And I'm going to discuss two experiments that I wrote about in the blog post. There's a link to this blog post in the description, so you can go check out all of the details. This, in the double cut, I'm just giving an overview of this and talking about it in a, trying to just explain it, why I thought it was in. It was interesting and this one i'm sure that you're going to think is interesting too there was a experiment by william dest and carl guillard uh, that they wrote about i think that was in 2001 um and that one in the blog i i called it head shaking results and that that was in an article that was has a very clear title. It's it's bentgrass response to potassium fertilization and potassium release rates from eight sand root zone sources used in putting green construction. So they they got sands from different parts of the USA. The key thing being that those are the type of sands used in golf course putting green construction, and they grew bentgrass in it, and some of those sands they or some of the pots that they had bent grass growing in they added potassium fertilizer and some of the pots they did not and these sands had really low potassium and this was measured with the standard method the 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 standard method for measuring it what's called exchangeable potassium is to use one normal ammonium acetate that's what was used and the values were pretty low it was uh like the lowest one was two parts per million the highest one was 16 parts per million so this is this is really quite low this is um oh it's uh a fifth or something of, of what the the old conventional guidelines would be for sand root zones for ammonium acetate typically you'd want like 75 parts per million or something that's that's what people thought you'd need and and so when they grew the bent grass in these sands this is a shocking result because it's testing so low and yet there was only one of the sands i think in which there was more growth when potassium was applied so the the grasses were getting 
potassium. They were getting all the potassium that they needed from that sand root zone, from those different sand root zones. And there was only one in which the, the clipping yield increased in response to potassium fertilization. There was also one of those sands in which the clipping yield decreased in response to potassium fertilization. So as far as clipping yield went, it balanced out whether you added potassium or not. And for roots, three, I believe three out of those eight sands, uh, so less than half, had more roots when potassium fertilizer was applied. And that's kind of a shocking result because grass uses a lot of potassium and that that grass can grow normally that more than half of the sand of the grasses can grow normally in sands with such low potassium it's surprising so they did additional experiments about the potassium release rate from mineral forms in the soil and found that that's really what is supplying the potassium the the potassium is coming from mineral forms in the soil and you don't need to have really high potassium on the exchange sites. And I hope you'll check out this blog post because it, it will help you to fine tune and be more efficient with the potassium fertilization and make sure that you're applying enough in, in your sand if you understand this pr particular topic. And then the other one that I wrote about has another absolutely mind-boggling result and this was done at university of wisconsin uh it's by beer et al also um, doug soldat uh, i think led a lot of this research and this is an article they wrote about a long-term evaluation of differential potassium fertilization of a creeping bentgrass putting green you've probably seen some of doug's pictures where they had increased microdochium pink snow mold they had increased microdochium where potassium was applied and on plots of bent grass in which no potassium was applied, there was less microdochium. This is a report on that experiment and on the amount of potassium that they applied and some surprising results about what they found in terms of soil test potassium. So. After six years of doing this, of differential potassium treatments, they found that it was surprising to find that after six growing seasons of not adding potassium to control treatments, while continually removing potassium via clipping removal, that visual potassium deficiency symptoms were not observed and yield was unaffected among treatments. So they were getting after six years in a sand that was testing low, in this case, they were testing with Malik 3, and they were in the range of 20 to 40 um, parts per million potassium in the control plot that didn't receive potassium. So this is, let's consider it below the MLSN minimum in this case. So they're below the MLSN minimum for potassium, not applying any, and yet the grass is growing normally. And not only is it growing normally, but it is also responding negatively to potassium application in this experiment in the form of increased disease, specifically increased, dramatically increased pink snow mold in the cases, 
in the, in the plots that received potassium. So in this case, adding potassium was making the grass worse, not making it better. But if you just look at the soil test, you'd think, my, this is very low. We really should apply potassium. So of course they looked into this further to try to figure out what's going on and, and really where is that potassium coming from? And it, it's coming from the mineral forms in the soil. So when they measured the total soil potassium, they, which they estimated from looking at mineralogy, they, they found that using total soil potassium, we observed that the total soil potassium content was increasing by about 50 parts per million per year, despite the regular removal of potassium in the clippings. Now, how, how can potassium possibly be increasing in the soil every year when, when you're harvesting the clippings and you're not applying anymore? It was coming through top dressing sand. They found that this increase in total potassium was coming from the mineral potassium applied in top dressing sand. And this mineral potassium was applying more than enough to meet the plant requirements. So this is this is something that is surprising and I think it's important to understand and to try to find out if your sand is the type of sand that is supplying plenty of potassium or if you've got a sand like a, a quartz sand, quartz, pure quartz is, quartz is silicon dioxide and silicon dioxide is not a mineral that has potassium in it. The minerals that do have potassium in them are feldspars, mica, um, ver various minerals like that will have potassium that can be made available to the grass. Quartz doesn't. So if your sand is primarily quartz, that that is not going to release much potassium. It And I like to do this by doing a mass balance to try to figure out if I need to apply potassium or not. And I've more recently been updating some of my recommendations, trying to look at three things in order to figure out if I need to apply potassium or not. I look at the, the change in soil test potassium over time. I estimate the plant uptake by looking at how much nitrogen was applied in the past year in between soil testing events. And as I look at how much nitrogen was applied, I realize that that sets an upper limit, an upper boundary on how much potassium could have been harvested by the grass. And so I'm able to estimate what the maximum amount of harvest would have been. And I look at how much potassium was applied and I look at the change in soil test potassium over time, and I see if that makes sense or not. If, and it often does. And when it does make sense, when that mass balance average, when it balances out and I can account for all of the potassium, then in that case, I make a normal potassium recommendation. In the cases where there's a lot of extra potassium in the system and uh, the potassium is not changing the way that I expected, um, that, that tells me that the, the soil is supplying some potassium and I can adjust that. Now, that's something I'm still working on. I'm still gathering some data, some time series of data to look at that. But it's, it's something that I think I can do better with my potassium fertilizer recommendations in, instead of just looking at whether something is 
is low in the soil and saying if it's low in the soil we're going to apply more we can look at the time series of potassium over time seeing how it's changed and make even more site-specific and more accurate recommendations i've got plenty of information about potassium and soil testing and all those things on my blog at asianturfgrass.com and i thank you for watching for listening and joining me on the ATC Double Cut, and I'll talk with you next time. Thank you.